Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Well, that's my new intro. I really kind of like it, and it's pre-recorded. I'm getting real fancy with this kind of thing. December is Friend Month, I've decided. Today I'm talking with my good friend in Dallas, Carol. We've known each other about 18 years, I think. I'm going to open the line to her right now. Good morning, hey. everybody. <laughs> hey, Carol. So How are you? I'm good. How's the weather up there? Uh, well, it's gray and cloudy today, but, you know, it is December. We can't be too... Yeah. Uh, too grouchy about that. Yeah, it's sunny, but it's gotten cold. We got another cold thing blow blow in last night, but I'm just glad it's not August. Yeah, that's So, this December's Friend Month. I've decided. That's and, that's great. Um, <laughs> I I don't remember exactly the first day I met you, but I do remember one of the most interesting things that happened when we first knew each other, and that's when you came to get your first massage. I used to give massages, and we both lived in Austin then. Why don't you tell everybody what happened while you were on the massage table about the vision? Well, that was truly one of the most um, life-changing moments I've ever had. It was so incredibly real. Um, Lois and I were just, just, uh, you know, softly chit-chatting while I just loved her wonderful massage and beautiful room and everything. Um, Crystals were on the floor below me, and it was just candlelight. It was just a wonderful atmosphere. And um, I I think we were probably talking about our little boys at the time as their antics were were always part of our conversations. And um, so we were just kind of drifting in and out of light conversation. And... uh, I was really enjoying the massage, and then I just started feeling really, really warm, like like a warm, warm breeze was just kind of wafting across my body. And um, I think I probably didn't physically open my eyes. I think I, I mentally opened my eyes, 
And when I did, I just saw this water just expanding out in front of me, this beautiful, really rich, beautiful blue water. And um, and and kind of looked down, and there were I was standing on a cliff, um, a white cliff, uh, really chalky cliff, and and I had on sandals. I could see, and there were light kind of garments fluttering across my body, and I realized I was standing with someone, and uh, I I started to look over to at the other person because I'd been looking at my looking at the ground and my feet in the water. And as I started to look up, the person I saw was another woman with uh, the same kind of robes on. And um, and I really felt like we were just sisters, you know, uh, in every sense of the word. And, and just really we were there together, and it was it felt good. It felt wonderful. It was warm. And, and I realized that it was Lois. And um, and that we were standing on this cliff, looking at this beautiful water, and um, and just at that time, as yeah, I but was, there was something off to the other side too, which was yes, important. most definitely, yeah. I mean, I had kind of looked around, and we were on this cliff, and there was kind of a kind of a, a temple kind of thing uh, yeah. off to the side. We were mm-hmm. in front of this temple that was overlooking the ocean, like we just walked out of the temple onto onto the cliff overlooking the ocean and I knew that we were there together and that that's where we lived and that's what we did and you know we were together in this in this experience and um you know serving here at the temple and and being there and we just I just it was just a sense of uh camaraderie and um purpose and uh and delight really at what I was able to do, and uh, that it was a long, long time ago. And uh, and so in any event, right about at that time, um, Lois, who was, you know, doing the massage, said, you know, you know, Carol, we were priestesses in Atlantis together. And I just knew she, that was exactly what it was. I mean, it was that, that sense that, you know, we were fulfilling a mission together and that we were together and I just knew that you know Lois and I have been friends for eons not just 18 years yeah that's true that's true and it's like I don't know why I just had this flash on standing next to you with a temple over the shoulder over our shoulder and I knew that we were priestesses in Atlantis together and and that was and then I said it you know because I I guess I was prodded or guided or something to say that but that was really only the second time I'd seen someone else's past life and life and or that one that somebody else was in. And you know, wow, I didn't realize it was that early in the process for you too. Yeah, I'd had this dream and this is all in the book that's available in e format on my website, but it's gonna be coming out in paperback, um, in January, early January. Um but yeah, the first one was some guy that was on the massage table who asked me if I could do past life readings, and but I and I I did. But before that, it had been about two years that I'd had a dream where a light being, a luminous being, had given me a book, and I asked a couple of people who I considered to be spiritual teachers who did not know each other what they thought that book was, and they said it's the Akashic Records, and I said, well, what's the Akashic Records? I didn't know what that was. It's the records of all the past lives and the probable future ones anybody's ever going to have on this planet. So 
um, I was given access to it, and then I'd done a reading for Bruce, and then when you were on the table, it just sort of happened spontaneously. So that was really the only second time. So wow. you were a catalyst. Well, it was just so it was so real. I mean, the warmth, the vision, the 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 bits of sand on the cliff. It was mul- you know. Yeah, it was multisensory. I mean, it feels Most like we're really there. It really did. Really did. So that you know that I I grew up with an acceptance of 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 course there were, there were many aspects to to the universe to existence um, my my grandmother was uh, or my great grandmother she was actually more of a grand I mean really my mother's grandmother and and in in the grandmother mythology. She was the good grandmother because my real grandmother had lots of issues. Um, she was a Cherokee medicine woman in Oklahoma, and the only time I got to meet her, um, she I was about six or seven years old, and uh, she w- was brushing my hair and talking to me and telling me about my mother and all these things, and then she just and asking me questions, asking me a lot of questions. You know what do you what 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 do you do when you do this? What do you think about this? And and then right toward the end, she kind of turned me around and she looked at me and she said, "You just remember that your your dreams are the gateway to all that is truly real, and um, you know you pay attention to those dreams because that's just that's another way of being that is actually you know there for you." And I remember a little girl being a little girl and. I've told that story many times, and I'm sure the words are always different, but the reality of it for me really just sunk in that because i was I had very vivid dreams and mm-hmm. and when sometimes I wanted you know I was resistant to naps, but sometimes when I would go to sleep at night, it was a sense of adventure that um okay, I'm tired, I'm gonna go to sleep and see what happens. And so I kind of my whole life with her, she planted that seed in me, and I did that. So, well, talk about seeds that are planted in children. I mean, I think this is really important, and I've always thought it was kind of strange. I had a real mystical childhood, in spite of what was going on around me. Um, But I remember when I was seven, I was sitting out in the front yard with my dad, and uh, you could see downtown Dallas at that time from our front yard which was in South Oak Cliff, and um, you could see the flying red horse. There was a building with Pegasus on top in red neon. It was a mobile oil company. In those days, that was the tallest building. Wow. There were very few in the way yeah, in the way of streetlights. There was no pollution, and it was very dark at night. And we could see millions of stars in those days, millions of stars. It was, the sky was just studded with them. And there were fireflies out in the grass because it was dark enough that they could find each other and mate. Now they don't exist in cities anymore because it never gets dark enough for them to find each other and mate. So they only live out in the countryside now. But there were millions of fireflies all over the neighborhood in those days. And there were my father and I were sitting out on the porch, and it was summertime, and there were fireflies and stars. And I remember thinking, wow, it's like the stars came down to the earth. And I may have said something to him about that. And he said, you know, we all come from the stars. Oh, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. He said, we all come from the stars. 
And he said, now don't tell your mom this because it would upset her, but I want you to know the truth. We come back again and again. We die and then we get born again. And then we have our lives and we learn our lessons and we love each other and then we die and we come back again. He said, don't tell your mom. That would upset her, but this is the truth. Less than two weeks later, my mother's own mother, without I'm sure without having consulted with her son-in-law, said, I want to tell you something. I was seven once again. She said, I just want to tell you something. I want to be sure that you know that we don't just live one time. There's this thing called reincarnation. We die and we go up into the heavens and we meet with the angels and then we come back. And that's kind of phenomenal that the two of them, and I'm sure they didn't collude. She said, she also said, don't tell your mother it would upset her. Because <laughs> my mother was like super into um, fundamentalist re- religion at that point in time. She's not as uh, rabid about it anymore. She's mellowed a bunch. But I just thought that was interesting. So I guess what I'm going to say is anybody who's listening who's thought about planting seeds in a child of what you believe if it's uh, of a metaphysical or spiritual nature, don't hesitate. You're probably being guided because I went back to that over and over again that not just one but two people told me the same thing really in close proximity to each other and it made an, Im- an impact on me. That's just wonderful. That is just wonderful. Well, I, I do think that we have a responsibility to um, t- to to um to to talk to our children and to listen to our children and when things are important to us you know there's this silliness about whether kids can understand and i remember as a small small child when some adults would talk to me as if i was a human being and some adults i was so aware that they were just talking to me like i was just this little doll child you know that that they would play cutesy with as opposed to really giving me information. And and I wanted the people who gave me the information. Me and, too. Uh, and those those are the ones I wanted to hang out with. And, no um, kidding. No kidding. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know, I've always been that way with children. I'm, I'm sweet to them. And believe it or not, <laughs> I'm really, <laughs> really kind of hard on adults. But I'm very, very patient and sweet and loving with children. Uh, but, you know, they remember they're a lot closer to the source when they're little. That's why they're so delightful to be around. They still have source energy right at the surface. I agree. And they haven't, they haven't shut down yet. And um, it, it's if you just listen to them, you ask them questions and listen to what they have to say, it can be an extremely beautiful window on a reality that we've forgotten for the most part. Um, so when they're little, by the way, for anybody listening who's got children or grandchildren, they can remember their past lives up until about the age of five. If you ask them, because I, I can remember asking one of my kids and what he remembered I don't know or what he said he remembered I'm not sure but he did have a recurring dream right after that which we later found out was came from the lifetime of a of a person that he later read a book about and we both remembered that recurring dream but wow. I don't want I don't want to identify who that person was because I don't want anyone to know <laughs> well 
When I was a small child, my father was in the Air Force, um, and we lived in uh, we lived in France at the time. And um, I guess from before I was two until I was almost six, and I was just fascinated. France was uh, this this beautiful fairy tale, familiar place. I loved everything about the trees that arched over the roads at that time, and and the little the flower the flower. Um, fields, you know, square squares of different flowers that would spread out behind uh, uh, on the distance as we would go. It was go to various places. We lived in a, a French farmhouse beside a stream um, oh, several miles outside of the military base. And it was just this wonderful, magical place. And my family was very much about taking us to experience the experience the area. We went to ch- different chateaus and we went to museums and we went to all kinds of different things and and I always loved it. But this one particular chateau and I was probably about 4 or 4 years old as we t- we were on the road and it was weird. I thought about that um we started to go pat we started to go past this lane and I and my father turned around and went down the lane. And at the time, I remember being sort of looking at my books in the countryside, and then all of a sudden he turned down this lane, and I started getting this weird tightness in my in my chest. And we went down this lane, and then the, the trees opened up, and then there was this beautiful chateau rising up um, on a bluff above us. And as we got closer and closer to that chateau, and I had been to, you know, many, many, many of these similar setups uh, our, during our time there in France, I started to panic. And we had to walk across a draw, a, a, you know, an old drawbridge, and I became terrified. And for the, and I was not a child who was afraid of anything. I was usually knocking at the doors before my parents could catch up with me to go in these chateaus. But this one particular one I was terrified of. And so my father ended up picking me up, thinking I was just afraid of the drawbridge for some reason, carrying me in there. And as I got closer and closer, I just I ceased to scream because I was felt like I was being choked. It was just this awful, awful sensation. And right as we started to go in, my mother looked at me, looked over at me, thinking, oh, she's calmed down kind of thing. And she could see that they said I was just really red in the face and I just looked terrified. And so the first time ever, my father ended up coming, you know, not going in the chateau and staying with me outside while my mother and brother went through it. So many, many years later, I was in Austin and um, I believe, I don't know if you actually told me about Joe Nichols, Lois, but... I went to. No, a, but we were going to see him. All of yeah. us at that time, our friends were doing that. Yeah, I think so. And so I went to see a psychic in Austin named Joe Nichols, and he was just an amazing guy, a, a military brat like me. And uh, we talked about a lot of things, and he proceeded to tell me so much about my past lives. I don't believe he really called it that, other than just to say. You know, you've lived lots of different lives, and and he said you've always had an issue with uh, with speaking your mind and men in authority, and in particular a time in France. And as he told me the story, he said you you were you were part of the court of this of this uh, 
you know, living in the chateau and uh, you were strangled because you were trying to tell people what was really going on. And uh, and as he told me the story, and of course this was this was I guess three decades later, I flashed on that chateau and I knew that's what he was talking about. I mean, it was just so so. Again, it was that same sensation I get. I was almost back there, walking into walking across that drawbridge, and as he told the story, I realized that, that I had been brought back to the chateau and. Um, where I had previously lived and left, and then as I walked across the drawbridge, I knew what was going to happen to me. So that past life, and you know, as a small child, I knew that. I experienced it. And then here I was 30 years later being told of this experience. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You were a woman in that lifetime? Yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, so I think... If you ask kids, they can remember past lives. I know that a lot of kids do. I knew someone who at the time we were experimenting when the kids were about, you know, three, four, five years old, when my younger one was anyway. Um, And someone I knew had children about that age, and she asked her son what his earliest memory was. Did he have any memories of previous lifetimes? He goes, no, but my earliest memory was when I picked you and Daddy for my parents. I got a little embarrassed and looked down at his feet and sort of dug his toe into the carpet and looked embarrassed, um, which I thought was pretty cute. Oh, that's just wonderful. Yes, very sweet. It so really your, is. Did your kids have any past life memories or talk about stuff like that? Um, both of them, both of them would tell me these stories, you know, or or we would be learning about something. I remember distinctly one time um, it was uh, Eric came home, from, my older son Eric came home from probably probably kindergarten, and they had been doing something about airplanes. And he came running in all excited because he... Um, because he got to, to uh, he looked at pictures and, and they had models of these airplanes, including an, an old, like a World War One era airplane. And he came back and started telling me all about this airplane. And I just said, "Wow, you know, that's that's um, boy, they really told you a lot of different things." And he said, "Oh no, no, mommy, I know all about this." And he said, "I know how to I know how to drive this plane." Is what he said. He said, "I know how to drive this plane, mommy." And he was just running around the house, and and then we had to we went and got us a model. And he told me all about this plane, about kind of about why it could fly, and and how this you know how to how to operate the plane. And at the time, I didn't specifically think, "Oh, past life memories." I just thought, you know, this is. This is um, this is real, you know. This he really is is has this knowledge. He has this knowledge, and mm-hmm. so I, I think that was definitely one of those situations where he was remembering oh. being, yeah. being being a pilot. Or in and if there was no fear scenario, so I don't get the sense that he you know died in the war or anything like that. But just that he knew how to fly that plane, and there was no question about it. And so you remember that, what kind of plane it was? It was you know a, like a. World War One era biplane kind of thing, you know. So, like the um, Sopwith Camel, that kind of airplane? Yeah, that kind of thing. Hmm. 
So, so it was just really cute because it, it was amazing. But he, but both of the guys always had lots of stories, and uh, yes, I was like that too. He would just tell wild stories, and I would just listen with utter fascination. And where they came from, I don't know. But yeah, and David, did he have some stories that were? You know, if you're looking at it for is this about a past life, it takes on a completely different color. It does. It does necessarily know to do that. Exactly, and I except that that I do that whole thing about my grandmother's planting seeds in me, and my grandmother planted those seeds in my mother. So in my family, my mother's prophetic dreams were part of of well, mom had a dream last night, you know. Um, and and that was just breakfast table conversation. That was accepted. Uh, that that was the case. It was. I mean, she, uh, my brother was uh, uh, is a 1970 Air Force Academy graduate, and at the time he was applying for all these schools, he um, he applied to the Air Force Academy and to to the Naval Academy and to Stanford and, and University of Texas, and um, and my mother had a dream um, that he got off of Air Force One, and um, with a Navy grad, with a Navy Naval Academy uh, cadet, and he had a baseball glove with him. And what happened is my brother ended up getting a full scholarship to play baseball at Stanford at UT. He got a congressional scholarship to Naval Academy, and then a presidential scholarship to the Air Force Academy. So, so all that was symbolic. So all of that was symbolic. Wow. And but that was accepted. We we needed to listen to these things. And uh that's just I and at the same time uh we were going to this, you know, Calvary Baptist Church in Glasgow, Montana, another Air Force posting. <laughs> and it was very fire and brimstone. And mm-hmm. I just remember absolutely going, This is crap. You know, there's no way I'm going to burn in hell. Uh, God wouldn't do that to us. We we've got to do. You, there's too much to learn to only get one chance. Yeah, seriously. I had one of those hellfire and brimstone upbringings too, and it's funny. I bumped into somebody um, oh, about six, six years ago that I had gone to church with in junior high, and at the end of junior high, we moved to another neighborhood, and I wasn't around those people anymore. But she had to go, this person looked me up because she had to come down here. This was up in Dallas where I grew up. She had to come down here to Houston to um, go to a uh, an embassy to get a visa so she could go work or get work papers or whatever. She wanted to go teach in, I think it was Guatemala. She came by to see me and she said, I had a metaphysical shop at that time. She said, so it looks like you're doing what you said you were going to do. And I said, what is that? And she said, oh, you know, save the planet. And I said, I said I was going to do that in junior high. And she said, oh, yeah, we both used to talk all the time about how we were here to um, change the world, save the planet. And you said you were going to start a new religion. Have you done that yet? And I went, I have no memory whatsoever of saying any of that. And she said, well, looks like you're doing it. And I went, okay. (laughs) Wow. That was kind of funny. I couldn't remember any of it. But that was very interesting. But you obviously made an impression on her. Yeah, she and said, you obviously, you know, I mean, you had something in common with her. That's why you could tell her those things, and maybe you couldn't tell anybody else those things. I, who knows? I might have told other people that 
that sort of thing and completely forgotten it as well. But she was truly weird, just like me. We were I knew we were both really weird. <laughs> and then there was the Swedish exchange student who was also weird. He came over for a year. Lars. Did he, was live only, with, he lived with your family? No, no, he didn't live with my family. He lived okay. with another family that went to our church, and we'd see him on the, you know, the junior high age kids would go on trips together on in the summertime, uh, adult supervised trips. But mm-hmm. that's where we got to know him, and he was weird too. He was into this sort of thing. Wow. Needless to say, he none of us really fit in very well, and <laughs> at that particular time, we were very weird. Yeah. People. Yeah, I mean, I, I always remember, you know, watching all the different people, of course, moving around all the time. But there were other people that would come into my life when I was, uh, when we lived in California for a couple of years. A girl who was uh, a friend of my brother's, um, just a friend. My mother, I was probably 10 or 10 and 11, 12, kind of 10, 11, 12. And my sister is nine years younger, so she was very small. And when my parents would go out, um, my sister also had a lot of health problems. Um, they would get this girl to come and stay with us, which sort of offended me because I thought I was big enough to take care of my sister. But she, you know, you never knew when she gets bitten by a spider and and it'd be emergency room trip. So this girl would come, whose name was Carol, also, um, and she was studying yoga. And so she would have us do all these yoga postures, and she talked about all kinds of interesting things. And I just loved it when she came because she was, um, because she was telling me, she was sort of validating these things that would go through my mind, you know. Hmm. So I think she was kind of an important person that you would never expect, you know, a cheerleader at Moreno Valley High School in Southern California in 1965, you know. I don't know. Those California girls can be pretty <laughs> weird, too. <laughs> uh, but 1965 was all Beach Boys and stuff like that. I was know. around back then, too. Yeah. Um, so um, how, we were gonna. I wanted to touch a little bit on Mercury retrograde because that goes for another, well, till almost the end of the month. How's that affecting you, or is it? Because you work with papers a lot and math. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Um, there have been things that have gone wrong in that respect. You know, people, I'm a mortgage loan originator um, on the, in the other half of my life, and um, people just being slow about getting their things in, people can't find their tax returns, things like that, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that, that it has been in effect. Um, uh, and Do you find that when people sign, get all their paperwork completed and everything and sign everything, that they wind up having to do it over again if they sign during Mercury Retrograde? Things have to be renegotiated, or would you even know if that happened? Well, I, I don't think I do. I do feel that when Mercury Retrograde, I wouldn't say having to re-sign, but there seem, there does seem to be issues, more issues during that time period with making with bringing things together and moving along in a normal in the normal time frame. It's like it's like all these speed bumps have been set up. What could what should be a simple transaction becomes a lot more problematic, and um, you know you kind of. I try to I try to warn people without saying that to them. 
because <laughs> that's kind of at odds with having your your loan advisor tell you now it's Mercury retrograde. Um, but but I have found ways that I can I can just uh, impress upon them the need and and then also warn them that you know we may have other issues that may come up. Don't get don't get upset. We'll deal with them. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do watch out for that most definitely. Yeah. So. In case anybody's listening who's curious about Mercury retrograde, it happens, does it happen three times or four times a year? It seems like it happens four times a year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. For three weeks each time. And during that period, it's as though Mercury will, it appears from where we are that Mercury is moving backward in the heavens. It's not really, it just looks that way in relationship to our orbit. And what that means is each planet has energetic frequencies that it emits. And what it means when Mercury is uh, retrograde or moving backwards relative to us is that um, it takes longer to get somewhere if you're traveling. So allow extra time when you take a trip. Um, You might get confused and make a wrong turn, for example, and cost yourself more time, or there might be traffic snares at a time that you would think there would not be, Um, or the plane may be delayed, that sort of thing, if you're taking an airplane. Another thing is that anything uh, you sign, you might have to renegotiate later. It's best not to sign any important documents during retrograde Mercury if you can help it. It is a really good time for studying and planning and uh, like editing a book. It might not be a good time to upload a book to the publisher, but it might be a really good time to edit that book or um, study. It's a really good time to study. Um, travel, communication. Oh, it's not uncommon for there to be like computer and cell phone snafus. And, and most people say um, save everything on your computer before Mercury retrograde, save it to, you know, like um, a separate location in case your computer crashes, because computer crashes are more common during Mercury retrograde, that kind of thing. Anything having to do with travel and communication, that's Mercury. So that's what we do about Mercury retrograde. (laughs) Ta-da! Well, you know, whenever, when I'm not being aware of it coming up, and things like that start happening invariably, then I look back and go, oh, well, I know that started happening just about when Mercury went, Mercury went retrograde. So yeah. it's it's just one of those little parts of being being here and aware. dealing with life. Yeah, and being aware of what's going on mm-hmm. instead of just stomping around cursing because you can't get your way. Exactly. Um, so, have you noticed anything going on with the energies lately? Because my sleep's been interrupted lately. I've been waking up in in the middle of the night, like around midnight, the last several, you know, maybe a week. I sleep a few hours, then I wake up for a couple of hours, then I go back to sleep for a few hours. And what I've been doing is turning on coast to coast, which I never thought I would do. <laughs> but I finally went, what the heck, I'm awake for a couple of hours anyway, I might as well turn that on and it's been interesting you know and then I get sleepy again and then I turn it off but uh, last night Linda Moulton Howe was on there and she's the one that I first became aware of due to her interest in crop circles but she was talking about aliens man 
and she was talking some real interesting stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. She was talking about, she's got a website, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. I bet we could find it if we Googled it. But um, she's got a website where she's collecting all kinds of data. So um, Linda Moulton, H-O-W-E. Okay. Um, she's written several books. About crocodiles, yeah. Um, she was on coast last night and describing certain kinds of aliens, and she had some interviews, some taped interviews, with people who didn't give their names. There were men. These two people I I heard interviewed, um, but things that had happened to them. And one was particularly about a type of alien that had green skin like a lizard. I thought was interesting. So anyway, um, so you haven't been having sleep patterns interrupted? Well, I um, my husband is actually in, in China um, setting up a factory right at this moment, and uh, so that changes things for me. Um, I, but now that you're saying this, what's been happening to me is is uh, I was thinking I would be, I've been trying to go to sleep earlier, and I end up not. And the minute it gets to midnight, then all of a sudden I don't want to go to sleep. So I'm, like, doing stuff and and um, feeling sleepy when I'm trying to get ready for bed and everything. But then if I get – but then past – then all of a sudden it's midnight, and then I'm awake for a couple hours. So I think that's that same sort of mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah, so – I uh, I don't know why I'm waking up at that hour. I mean, I, get, I start getting sleepy at 7, which is just crazy. And it's because I live alone and I don't have to stay awake to talk to anybody else, which I'm <laughs> sure pattern would change if their, you know, if my life circumstance changed. But, um, yeah, I uh, I wake up then around uh, 12.30, 1 o'clock, stay awake for a while and listen to the radio and then go back to sleep, and it's like, Holy cow, I hope this is going to be over soon because my body seems to think it's on European time. <laughs> I'm, and then I'm awake by 3 a.m. or 3 or 4 in the morning and can't go back to sleep. And oh, like, my gosh. How does anybody get by on that little sleep? I haven't figured that out yet. But um, I do know that Ama over in India only sleeps two hours a night, so maybe it means I'm just special. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Um, so I think that all has to do with the energies that are shifting on the planet. You know, we all know that the energies are shifting on the planet and we're becoming multidimensional beings and we're expanding. Oh, you know, one of the things they were talking about last night was the fact that what that there are certain locations on the earth where the, uh, it's possible to come in and out of different dimensions into this plane. And... Um, one of those portals is Sedona, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, that when we had exploded nuclear weapons, testing them above ground, that we had ripped the space-time continuum, and that's why we started getting all that interest from the aliens who'd been kind of leaving us alone. That's why they all started showing up at the end of World War Two. Wow. Cause they were, yeah, because the kids found the matches and they wanted to be sure we didn't burn their house down. <laughs> you know, that's, that's yeah, my okay. technology, but yeah. Is that your cell phone? What yes, you I'm sorry. Yeah, I need to turn that. If I can get to it, I'll turn it off. 
There we go. Uh-huh. That helps. That's Sorry. That's okay. Um, so. Well, Sedona is definitely a special place. Definitely a yeah. special place. Well, one and of the things... Go ahead. I was just going to say that whole concept of doing doing the testing out in what what people at the time thought was just this vast barren desert, and and in reality it was actually very close to very very special places. You know, our mm-hmm. perception of what's important is uh, uh, at different times in history is is interesting to look at. You know, you think mm-hmm. you you think it's not an important place, but as our awareness grows, or we come back to awareness, we see that the problems that that it starts for 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 life on this planet. Mhm. And the different layers of life. Mhm. Not just the three-dimensional life forms, but then you get into the underground testing and what is it doing to exactly. um, all the underground communities? Because there are a lot of beings. Uh, Living under the earth, I mean the caves that there are a lot of people who are quite convinced that all the caves under the earth are interconnected, which is why if you uh, have land and it turns out that you find a cave, you better keep your mouth shut or it's going to be grabbed up by the um, government. You're not allowed to go in caves anymore. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yep. If you got a cave on your land, you're not to go inside it. You're to call the government. Really? Yeah, seriously. Now, that doesn't count things like Carlsbad Cavern that are tightly controlled. But, yeah, it's because these uh, these caverns under the earth are interconnected. And there are beings down there, and they don't want us bumping into them. And there are also uh, underground installations that are run by the government. They don't want us bumping into those either. And so... Now... I don't think they want people hiding under the ground because they can't uh, they can't see what you're up to. Now that mm-hmm. they've got satellites up in the air, they don't want you getting under the ground because then they might be able to not see what you're doing. Yeah, Makes me wish I had a cave. You wish you had a cave. <laughs> right. Makes me wish I had a cave. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know what I'd do down there, but it it would be a fun thought. When we lived in Montana, when I was a kid, I remember going to, uh, to uh, you know, hearing a lot about that because we were on a SAC base, and there were, you know, the missiles, and and uh, they were building the strategic air command location and all that other stuff, and that was... Uh, was that in my, Montana? No, no, that's, um, I guess, NORAD is in Colorado, I think. And then, then in Wyoming, but there are a lot of caves under whole, all that part of the of the country. You know, the the big glacier came down and did all kinds of weird things to everything to uh, to the ground and left all these incredible stones. And mm-hmm. you know, it's an interesting. Again, it's a location on the planet that uh, that the government and people think is in the middle of nowhere. And so they start doing things to it, and then, like you said, now uh, there's all these caves and all these things they don't want people to know about. Yeah. You know, we've only got one minute left. Amazing. Yeah, is there anything you want to say that you didn't? Well, I just, uh, I think that your things like your radio show, like Coast to Coast, you know, this is information that people need to be able to access because there's 
so much more going on than than um than what you what you hear read in your paper in a regular paper or uh, on the t v news i mean that's just a fraction of what's what's available and very controlled and so as yeah. as citizens we need to to access all kinds of forms of information so thank mm-hmm. you for contributing that to all of us thank you. And I, I saw an interesting quote I want to end with, and it was uh, from Daniel Pinchbeck. It's our world, and it's up to us to change it. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks That's for talking good. with me today. All right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.